Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. The force will be with you, always. I'm your number one fan. <laughs> this is Simon Rose. I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson, as ever, to discuss the business of film. So, how's it looking, James? Well, it's down from the previous weekend, 9.3%, but there's a big film opening this weekend called The Batman, which I think might restore the box office. <laughs> yes. yes. Unfortunately, Jim Broadbent wasn't quite in the same league to sort of up the box office. But let's have a look at what we have here. No, no I, I would pay to see Jim Broadbent as Batman, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, it's going to be a while, I think, before we get that. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. At number one for the third consecutive weekend, we have Uncharted, starring the unstoppable Tom Holland. It was number one last week. It's gone down 18%, which is not that much. It made £3.1 million last weekend, hmm. with a total of 18.1 million quid. At number two, we've got Sing 2, which was at two, which made £2.7 million quid down 15% for a total of 29 million in its mm-hmm. fifth weekend which is the third highest grossing film in the UK since the pandemic so, so these are big numbers here mm-hmm. and then at number 3 we have Jim Broadbent not as the duke but the man who stole the duke it made 942,000 pounds like the girl with the pearl earring, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Woman in Gold, and The Goldfinch, The Duke is a film about a painting. In this instance, it is Goya's 1814 portrait of the Duke of Wellington, which went missing from the National Gallery in 1961 and caused an outcry. It was presumed to have been snatched by, and I quote, a highly professional, well-funded, international criminal gang, probably Italian, but was actually the misdeed of one Kempton Bunton, an ageing socialist rebel from Newcastle, who was previously in trouble with the police for not paying his TV licence. He objected to paying for the latter because he never watched the BBC, and he suggested in the film that he was maybe responsible for lifting the fee for the over 75s in the UK. If you want to know more about the story, much of it is absolutely incredible, particularly the last quarter, all of which is revealed in the trailer, which I'm so glad I didn't see, as the film actually gets better as it goes along. It marks the final outing of the late Roger Michel, the director behind such quintessentially British works 
as of course Notting Hill, the mother and Venus. And you can't get more English than the Duke set in Newcastle and largely filmed in Bradford. Initially, as much as I was enjoying it, I felt it was a somewhat parochial provincial affair, like a good play on the telly. In fact, the BBC's own play for today is name-checked in the film, which Helen Mirren as Mrs Bunton dismisses as just an excuse for a lot of bad behaviour. It's a peach of a script by Richard Bean and Clive Coleman, and an excellent cast delivers their lines with throwaway precision. It has more than its fair share of priceless one-liners, with Jim Broadbent's non-stop talking Kempton Bunton at the centre of it all. While Helen Mirren, as his missus, is cleaning the world, he sits in front of the telly, watching ITV, of course, pontificating, and when he asks his overstretched wife to go and fetch him something, he explains, you know how I don't like to get up. There was a danger. Oh, oh is he Yorkshire, Geordie, is he? <laughs> okay, well, okay, thank you. You don't there like to a... get up. I didn't <laughs> like to get up. Okay. You do a Geordie. You do a Georgie for me. I didn't uh, like to get up. Yeah. Uh, there was a danger that Kempton could have become, I think, a ball, but Broadbent invests him with such a misplaced nobility and willingness to go to prison for his principles that you can't help but warm to the man. Set in 1961, it suffuses this world with Coronation Street and ginger nuts, while the sequences set in London have been pilfered from the archives rather than computer generated, with Jim Broadbent popping up in the low resolution street scenes, which I, I liked. There is a charm to spare and a lightness in the telling and a delicious irreverence. But above all, it is unapologetically English, refusing to sell out or compromise to an international audience, proving true to its own roots. Mm. Without giving anything away, it is this extraordinary, stranger-than-fiction story. It is odd the story's not better known, to be honest, because I think I'd vaguely read about it, but it, yes, I'm, having seen the film, it, it, it is such an extraordinary story that you just wonder why it's not part of you know everyone's... English folklore. Well, incidentally, such was the furor surrounding the stolen painting that it popped up in the lair of Dr. Yes, no, yes. given a quizzical squint by Sean Connery in his first outing as James Bond. At the time the film was made, it was still missing. Yes. But to add an insult to injury, the painting created for the movie by the production designer Ken Adam, one of the most celebrated of his time, that painting on the set was also stolen. Yes, but, yes, it's, I know. And uh, there's a wonderful supporting cast with Matthew Good, very good as Kempton's lawyer, Jeremy Hutchinson, who makes no bones of the fact that he is married to the great actress Peggy Ashcroft. As Dolly Bunton, Helen Mirren makes an art form of long-suffering, while there's even a turn from Roger Michelle's wife, Anna Maxwell Martin, before she separated from him, shortly after filming had completed. And then, sadly, he died a year later. Mm. I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you. And, and part of this may be that while I thought Jim Broadbent's accent was absolutely wonderful, I did find some of the Geordie accents a little bit um, wavering in their geographic location. But I, I grew up there, so it's always ah, more difficult. Of course you did, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, it, it, it seemed a very sweet but old-fashioned film. I mean, it doesn't shake the world, but then as a friend who saw it on... Um, Saturday night said it was it was just the ticket 
when you don't necessarily want your brain to be exercised too much. You just want something that's very, very pleasant, I suppose. Um, and he's I mean, such it, a it is witty character. It, yes, absolutely. And um, I think it gets better as it goes along. I was quite won over by the end. And at first, as I say, I thought it was yes. all a bit provincial and parochial. Yes. But then yes. I got caught up with the story. I did like it. I think it's a... I'm quite pleased it's coming at number three, though. Clearly, it's not going it's to set... The, um, the strongest new film of the week. Yes. It's not um, going to set the world alight, I think. But it would be interesting to see how it does overseas. Sometimes, of course, things that are particularly British and make no effort to woo an international audience can do incredibly well. Hmm. We, we will um, see. We will see. Anyway, that's The Duke uh, with Jim Broadbent and Helen Mirren, uh, the last film with Roger Michel. That was at number three. So number three. Now? Yeah, at number four, we've got Death on the Nile, which was at number three, down 43%, with a total of £6.5 million. Pounds. We've got at number five, Dog, which was at number four, down 21%, with a total of £2.1 And the big news of the week is that at six which was at six last weekend, Spider-Man No Way Home, down a mere 10%, which is the weekend's strongest holdover, with a total mm. now of £95.4 million, which makes it the fourth highest-grossing film of all time in the UK and Ireland, having overtaken Avatar and Spectre in the last week. Ooh. At this rate, it could even overtake No Time to Die. It is only one and a half million pounds away from snatching that title. So That's I think we could. Impressive. The way it's going, it's only gone down 10%. So Nobody... what, are the, what are the other ones? In, it, it, so it could, it could overtake Spectre. What are the other ones above that? Um, well, the, the number one, of course, is Star Wars The Force Awakens. And number two is um, Skyfall. Right. Well, impressive. impressive. And we have a new film at number seven called, I believe it's called Cyrano, but I wanted to call it Serrano, and I'm going to have really difficult difficulty talking about the film. As you know, I love... <laughs> well, we all know is it Serrano de Ber Bergerac, don't we? James, if we're going to talk about a new film, should we just take a, a break? Oh, let's, we won't feel let's. at all um, pushed. Uh, bear with me a second. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio, where I am talking to James Cameron Wilson. We're just about to talk to, well, about Cyrano or Serrano, I suppose. But is that an American-English difference? They I call it really Cyrano, and it's sort mm. of a, an Anglo-American film. As you know, mm. I love a film musical, and we have been rather spoilt of late, what with Lin-Manuel Miranda's In the Heights, mm. Lin-Manuel Miranda's Encanto, and Lin-Manuel Miranda's <laughs> Tick, Tick, Boom. <laughs> Yes. And Steven yes. Spielberg's West Side Story. Yes. Now, Stephen Sondheim is the William Shakespeare of musical theatre. And not only did he write the lyrics to West Side Story, but recorded his own voice 
just before he died on Andrew Garfield's answer machine in the film Tick, Tick, Boom. The actor who plays Sondheim in the film, Bradley Whitford, had originally recorded a different message. And when Sondheim saw an early private screening of the film, he emailed Lin-Manuel Miranda with the suggestion of changing it, mm-hmm. as he thought the original was a little cliché. A few of Sondheim's films have made it to the big screen, Sweeney Todd, Into the Woods, and disastrously A Little Night Music, mm-hmm. with Elizabeth Taylor singing Send In the Clowns. But I think there are others that could make a healthy transition. Just as sometimes musicals are so varied in style, both thematically and musically, so they would need very different directors to bring each to cinematic life. Maybe Rob Marshall could direct Follies. Ang Lee could do Pacific Overtures. Jean-Pierre Genet could do Sunday in the Park with George. And Lin-Manuel Miranda himself could do Company. Anyway, we have a new musical in Cyrano, based on the 1897 play Serrano de Bergerac, which was written by Erica Schmidt and played off-Broadway in 2019. In the many previous versions of Cyrano, and indeed in the original, Cyrano is a gallant or gallant charismatic guardsman who is terribly embarrassed by his very large nose. But in the new version, Erica Schmidt cast her husband, Peter Dinklage, although she swears she didn't write the musical for him. Now, it, it's OK, but it, it's not really a great musical. In fact, mm-hmm. I found some of the numbers a bit naff. But Dinklage as Cyrano is terrific, being self-conscious of his height, which isn't particularly lofty. And so instead of the nose, he is short. Cyrano has always loved his childhood sweetheart, Roxanne, from afar, saying she is the Alps and I am simply not worthy of her. And yet Cyrano is a brilliant poet, a great wit, and can take down 10 swordsmen in one go, but he's short. In the film version, directed by Joe Wright, the story is set in an indeterminate corner of Europe at an unspecified time. And like Joe Wright's version of Anna Karenina, it never really feels entirely real. The director also has had a liking for recreating the aesthetic of famous artists. And here he obviously draws heavily on Caravaggio and Rembrandt, Mm. i.e. much of the palette is quite muddy. I I think perhaps the key words in the entire film is when Roxanne's maid, played by Monica Dolan, says that the only thing that lasts is compromise and sacrifice. It is certainly this that keeps Serrano de Bergerac going in order to sustain the pain of his unrequited love. Then he finds a way of expressing that devotion when Roxanne falls for an African-American guardsman, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. But the latter, Christian, is a little tongue-tied, to say the least. So Cyrano offers his services as the author of a series of love letters designed to woo Roxanne around to Christian's love. Talk about compromise and sacrifice. It's a very strong premise, and Dinklage does film the part with enormous swagger. I wish I could say the same for Hayley Bennett, who happens to be the romantic partner of Joe Wright in real Mm. life. He just hasn't given her, shall we say, the most flattering angles. She sings very well and invests Roxanne with the requisite emotion. But I felt myself drawn more to Cyrano 
than to Roxanne. And mm. I'm heterosexual. Mm. I think for a genuinely sweet, funny, inventive, smart, and deeply touching on Serrano, I would recommend Alice Wu's The Half of It, currently on Netflix. However, I was moved by Joe Wright's version, in spite of its irritations. Why did Haley Bennett adopt an English accent and Peter Dinklage stayed American? It's a fashionably culturally fluid production in the tradition of Armando Inucci's The Personal History of David Copperfield. So it sort of exists in a parallel universe, historically speaking. But Dinklage is the main reason for seeing it. I think he is to the short actor what Sidney Poitier was to the black actor. Amali Matlin is to the deaf actor. He's just a great actor. He is. I, mean, I think right back to things like the station agent and of course well, Game of indeed. Thrones, which I know is not something you, you saw, but he's unbelievably good in in that. I wonder how, I mean, I've said, the half of it I quite enjoyed, which um, you recommended a while ago. Um, I wonder how Roxanne, the sort of comedy version of the story with Steve Martin and... Um, um, oh gosh, I forget. Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah, thank you very much yeah. indeed. I wonder how that holds up now. I suspect that probably hasn't dated very well. Well, and I there was would a, like Gerard to... Depardieu did it in a French. He did in 1990. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there's been oh, Jose Ferrer, and there was a silent oh, yes, version. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yes. There have been many, many versions. Yeah. Yeah. But moving on to the chart, because I've got mm. a film I would like to recommend, because I've been a okay. bit sniffy about films recently okay. and there is one i would really like to recommend so at number nine we've got uh sorry eight we've got belfast which was mm -hmm. at number five down a whopping great 52 percent with a total mm -hmm. of 14 million the extricable jackass forever down 49 percent with a total of 5.7 million in the bank mm -hmm. and at 10 we have an old film which is the 50th anniversary re-release of The Godfather, which made £267,000. Wow. Donald Trump and Boris Johnson's favourite film. I did watch it again last year, and I have to say, it really stands up. It hasn't dated at all, which I could say for a lot of classics I'm sort of trying to catch up with. It mm. just holds you from the opening few seconds. It is an extraordinarily powerful film. 50 years, extraordinary. So you said you wanted to talk about something else, clearly, that you, that you like to try and reverse the balance. Yes, this is probably my favourite film. But yeah, it is my, I think, the best film of the week, certainly, mm. that I've seen. And I've seen a lot of films mm. this week. Uh, there are many terrific scenes in The Justice of Bunny King, but there's one that will stay with me. This is a New Zealand drama, and I don't review many of those, starring that wonderful Australian actress, Essie Davis, who I know from The Babadook, Baby Teeth and True History of the Kelly Gang, although some might know her from something called Game of Thrones. Here she plays an upbeat, passionate and rather unpredictable woman called Bunny King, who we first meet at an Auckland intersection cleaning windows or rather car windscreens. When one driver hands her a, a full note, she's almost over the moon in ecstasy. Then when we see her shortly afterwards in a social service office, she hands over some change to a woman she deems worse off than she is. And then we realise that Bunny King is herself homeless. And she is many things. She's generous, she's principled, but I think most of all, she is angry. Angry at the way she has been sidelined by society, and more particularly by the authorities, and can only take one baby step forward 
if she fills in yet another form and ticks another box. Bunny is also a mother of two and a 14-year-old boy and a brain-damaged five-year-old girl, neither of whom she is allowed to see until she finds somewhere to live. But cleaning windows and her cousin's car does not provide enough cash to meet a fraction of what she needs to rent somewhere in Auckland, anywhere. The Justice of Bunny King marks the feature directorial debut of Gayson Favat, who used to be a focus puller before directing her first short, Brave Donkey. I would like to think that the Justice of Bunny King will guarantee her a successful future alongside her compatriot, Jane Campion. But I can't imagine many people will get to see the film. It is now available to rent on BFI Player and such platforms as Amazon and Apple TV. And I, I really recommend it. it. I just wish I could, had seen it in the cinema. It is primarily a film about a mother who reflects so many in our society, not just New Zealand's, mm. who is trapped by the digital age. If you don't have an income, a roof over your head or a computer, you just don't exist. At one point when Bunny has been banging her head against the proverbial brick wall, she's told to send an email and everything will be all right. What we don't know until later is how she has fallen on such hard times. But the film is not in the business of pushing exposition, thankfully, in our faces. It is primar primarily a character study about a woman infused with determination. And in spite of everything, she has a great joy and this moral fibre. But society is designed to keep women and men like her trapped in an impossible game. Essie Davis is terrific both captivating and frightening at the same time. And there is an understated turn from Thomason McKenzie as her niece, whose own circumstances leads Bunny to risk everything because her principles kick in at the expense of her own dreams. And so to that one scene, she is desperate to make a fuss of her daughter on her birthday. And even though she's only got about $10 in the, her bank account, she walks into a store and starts plucking things off the shelves willy-nilly, with which she fills her shopping trolley. She also selects some scissors and sellotape, along with a cheap child's stroller, which comes in a huge box. And away from the view of the checkout till, she takes the stroller out, packs the box with all her stolen goods, seals it up neatly with the sellotape, and pulls off a sticker with its barcode from the packaging of a doll and sticks it on the top of the box. At the checkout till, the assistant scans the barcode and charges her $9.99 and before turning back to her phone without even really noticing what she's done. But needs must, and Bunny is anything if not resourceful. This is, a heart, this is heartbreaking stuff and for the most part feels entirely real with plenty to say about the world we live in today. There were several moments when the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Because for all her petty crimes, Bunny King is standing up to a system that just doesn't care, let alone understand. And I never, I never see Davis most from. Um, I think it was an Australian um, uh, TV series called Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries, which was sort of nineteen um, twenties ish, um, sort of slightly tongue in cheek um, sort of mystery series, which was very good, but to a very different tone than this sounds. Yeah, yeah. No, she's a really good actress, and she's yes. married to Justin Cazell, who did Macbeth and directed her in True History of the Kelly Gang. Um, but I also point, like to point out about this film, it is unusual in that most of the above-line talent are women, 
which includes the director, the producer, the screenwriter, the cinematographer, the editor, the production designer, and the costume designer. They're all female. Mm-hmm. And that is The Justice of Bunny King, which is available, as you say, to rent on several uh, platforms. James, thank you very much indeed. That's been the business of film for uh, this week. James will be back with more at the same time next week. All my life, I've been waiting for someone. And when I find her, she's she's a fish. You're tearing me apart! Why so serious? Something.